We're standing at the corner of Wall Street and Main Street. I really can't think of a phenomenon that has disrupted both as quickly and decisively as crypto. And I can't think of anyone better to help us get our head around it than today's guest, Anthony Scaramucci, founder and managing partner of Skybridge Capital. Anthony, welcome to the podcast. Hey, Doug, great to be on. So before we get into the topic du jour, and I realize that a lot of people are going to cringe when they hear me say crypto as a representative of uh, blockchain, Bitcoin, Ethereum, NFTs, and DeFi. But for for brevity, I'm just going to call it crypto. So hopefully anyone who is about to log out logs back in and listens to this podcast. But please understand, I know it's much more than that, but we have to find a moniker for it. Can you give us a quick bio? Um, where'd you grow up? Wink, wink. I'm from Amityville, Long Island. Uh, where'd you go to school? And how'd you get from Goldman Sachs to Oscar Capital and ultimately uh, to Skybridge? Well, I mean, first of all, I appreciate being on. You have a great show and uh, it's flattering for me to be here. So thank you. Uh, secondarily, I grew up in Port Washington, not too far from Amityville, Uh uh, so you're probably exit 49. I was exit 36 on the Long Island Expressway. Uh, my dad was the crane operator in Port Washington. So as a Long Islander, you know that uh, this is just the, where I'm living is basically just a glacial deposit from the Ice Age. And there was a tremendous amount of crushed aggregate and sand on this island as a result of that. And so there was a sand embankment in Port Washington. My dad left northeastern Pennsylvania to go there to mine that sand uh, spent 42 years at the same company, retired as a crane operator there. Uh, I went to the public high school there, then I went to Tufts and Harvard. Um, I got my first job on Wall Street right out of Harvard at Goldman Sachs. Uh, I had in my diary, if the day that I pay my student debt, I would leave and start my own business. That happened seven years later. I left in 1996 to start a firm with one of my friends. That firm was reasonably successful. We sold it to Newberger Berman, Newberger Ger Newberger got bought by Lehman Brothers. Lehman Brothers went on, obviously, to a bankruptcy, but I left Lehman in 05. It went bankrupt in 2008, and I started Skybridge. Um, people will remember my ill-fated turn as the White House Communications Director. Uh, I lasted 11 days in the Trump administration, but learned a lot there, uh, which is probably in some ways a precursor to my foray in blockchain technology and Bitcoin, et cetera. Uh, but what I've been basically doing less that 11-day disastrous period, I've been working as the managing partner and founder at Skybridge Capital, a multiple billion dollar uh, global asset manager. We have hedge fund exposure, ETF exposure, crypto exposure, a venture capital sleeve to our business. Uh, and the last thing, and then I will shut up, is that we run the SALT conference, which we founded in 2009, uh, which is now a global four times a year event. We do a cryptocurrency conference in the Bahamas, a think tank conference in September in New York, and then we do a blend of those two conferences in Singapore and Abu Dhabi. Awesome. And I'm glad you touched on all of those. I'm certainly getting to those. I, you know, I'm a big fan. I, I followed the trajectory of your career to all these different stops. In fact, uh, I was a correspondent for CCTV, China's largest news network, about a decade ago, and that would have me at the NASDAQ uh, in the afternoons for the closing bell. And I, I got to run into you a few times uh, there, and it was really kind of a thrill for me because, you know, I think um, anyone 
who's been in finance the last few decades would agree that you have absolutely been innovative. You have been a disruptor and, 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 and you've been courageous in sort of pursuing these endeavors. And, and the testament is obviously in, in the incredible legacy, the incredible people that you have at Skybridge really can't say enough about the crew over there. And, you know, if attitude is a reflection of leadership, uh, I'm, I'm just so impressed with everyone that I've met there. And, and so that's, uh, that's kind of telling to, to the way that you operate. But yeah, so with similar brevity, let's let's talk about crypto. At what point did you learn about that opportunity and 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 then decide to become a proponent of that industry? Well, first of all, you're being very flattering, so thank you. I guess you haven't read all of the press about me recently where I'm being lit up for my Bitcoin exposure uh, by the traditional press and the traditional people in, in the Wall Street community. So I appreciate you yeah. not reading all well, that unflattering press. Traditional is the key word there, I think. And traditional but, you know, is probably... Listen, I mean, here, here, <laughs> here, here, here's what I would say to you just broadly. You know, we are once again at a very big inflection point in terms of the world's technology. And what we're working on is going to revolutionize the world. And you always, when that happens people fall into different buckets. You know, there were people that said the horseless carriage was a fad. They're going to stick with their horse and buggy. Bill Gates himself, uh, he said that the internet was a fad. Now, God bless him, he changed course, obviously, and, and realized that he made a mistake. Um, but we have a whole group of people right now that are not watching what's going on. If I can do transactions that are costless, or I can do transactions that cost me anywhere from three to 10%, I'm going to want to do the costless transactions and that's coming. And so um, I think either people are going to embrace it and they're going to adapt and adapt their personalities to it, or they're going to get melee and they're going to get into a painful awakening, a painful existence if they don't adapt and adopt what is happening. So, but I'm telling you right now, I'm taking a lot of heat for being in this space, a lot of heat. Well, you know, sometimes that means you're on the right track. Not always, but sometimes. And, yeah, sometimes. And, and, you know, this that's why you're probably the right guy to ask this question. And, and look, I, I hope to have you on in a future episode. So I'm keeping a few of your uh, Wikipedia paragraphs in my pocket for a future reference. But in the era of social media, taking a position on just about anything invites controversy, reputational risk and all sorts of additional drama, which you've sort of highlighted here. And you really have to believe in a cause to get behind it. Did you consider this before you took that first step into crypto? And how has your position evolved along the way? Or what have you learned about crypto as you've sort of gotten deeper? Let, 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 let's take a step back for a second. Okay, you're, you're talking to somebody that when I got fired from the White House, I was lit up by every late night comedian. I was impersonated and parodied on Saturday Night Live. I was destroyed by every cable news political know-it-all pundit. I was written about in most newspapers. Um, some people called me Tony Soprano on the Potomac. Other people said that I was a, a Jim Tan Laundry Jersey Shore cast member. I mean, I've heard it all. You know, so to me, uh, taking the risk of going into crypto. And getting lambasted or criticized for it, I thought, wow, a lot, a lot worse has happened to me than that. And so I think what you have to make, you have to make a decision in life if you're going to take risk. 
Because what will happen is if you take the risk and you're right, you'll be heavily rewarded. If you take the risk and you're wrong, and right now it looks like I'm wrong short term, as I pointed out on television a few weeks ago, I may not be wrong long term. We'll have to see. But but if you take the risk and you're wrong, you get a lot of haters because uh, human nature is such where the shot and for it comes in. People get pain from your pleasure, but they also get pleasure from your pain. It comes in because they don't take risk. They look at the situation and say, ah, oh, that guy, he took risk and look at him. And so thank God I didn't take risk. And it's very validating to those people. So but. How do you break ground? How do you create a new genre, a new industry? How do you create a new paradigm? Every single person that is in that space has that happen to them. It's just an unfortunate consequence to human nature, and it's an unfortunate consequence to the lack of predictability of what's going to be successful or not. I just want to say one thing to provoke your audience There was a gentleman by the name of Bill Gates. Uh, His first foray, the operating system failed. He had to borrow money from his father. He bought an operating system from Digital Research, installed it in the company. Michael Dell, 1993, his laptop computers were catching fire on planes in the United States, and they had to ban those computers. Stock went from 41 to 7. Um, You've got Jeff Bezos. The stock was 116. It went to 6. People wrote him off, said he was going out of business. So this is the this is the process. Oh, absolutely. And and I, I read that shareholder letter. I think it was in the year it was at 2000. Uh, Bezos to his shareholders just saying, you know, this I know our stock price doesn't look like it. And I know this hasn't been a fun ride lately, but our numbers are up. You know, it's working. Our plan is working. Tune it out. And there's an old saying, if you want to be a leader, you have to turn your back to the crowd. And that's not always so easy to do. And and in the era of social media and in the court of public opinion, where everybody seems to be a juror and gets a vote, you know, it gets harder and harder. I mean, if if we look at the the journey of Kathy Wood and the ARC funds and, you know, she really had this vision uh, to, to, to disrupt investing by offering the opportunity to invest in growth equity. And then she was uh, carried out, carried off on the shoulders um, of, of investors in 2021 and equally absolutely taken behind the woodshed in late 21 and 22 as the trends in the market reversed. It's not so simple to do anything, you know, outside of the acceptable norms of society these days. And so that's why I think, you know, uh, hey, I'll quote the movie Wall Street. And I think you might have uh, some, something to say about Wall Street, too, if I'm not mistaken. But uh, a man looks into the abyss and sees nothing. And that's when he finds his character. Mm-hmm. And that's what keeps him from falling into the abyss. Mm-hmm. You know, and especially in today's day and age, if you have conviction, it'll get you through all of that noise and all that drama. And then you just kind of have to hope that, you know, you've hitched yourself to the right wagon. But, you know, to, to kind of continue the conversation here, I remember you once famously accusing the Obama administration of treating Wall Street like a pinata. Uh, And when it comes to crypto, Washington seems to treat it more like a UFO. Uh, (laughs) Where does the U.S. government and financial system land on DeFi, NFTs, and cryptocurrency? Where do you think they ultimately land on this? So there's a lot there. So let me start with the abyss. Uh, I did the Oliver Stone second movie, Wall Street 2, I played myself in that movie. It's almost 12 years ago now. 
Um, what I would say about the abyss, that came from Odysseus. So Oliver Stone is a great reader. He's a bibliophile. And um, he took those quotes out of Homer's Odysseus, uh, the Odyssey, if you will. You know, sure. where Odysseus is staring at the Charybdis, the whirlpool, and he's making a decision if he should jump into the whirlpool alongside of his fellow seamen or should he stay the course and try to find his way home? And so it is a metaphor on character and staying consistent with your principles. And I think it's a beautiful statement. So I'm glad you brought it up. Secondarily, with Barack Obama, I went to law school with him. I was trying to give him a layup. It blew up in my face, which is fine. <laughs> but I was just trying to say, isn't there a nexus between Wall Street and Main Street? So why are we smashing Wall Street with the pinata stick? Why don't we just try to create more harmony in the country? But, you know, that was... Uh, you know, he didn't like it. He came at me pretty hard. After he, he did that, he walked over to me and said, hey, Mooch, hope I wasn't too hard on you, but you know it's just politics, right? I mean, that's what he said. Fine. Wow. That's politics. That's our society now. Wall and Street then, did you know, like that one, if I may interrupt. I think you got a lot of high fives uh, from yeah, the New York no, that's, team. That's for sure. Many of my that friends we, on Wall we Street. We wanted to hear that, yeah. Yeah, many of my friends on Wall Street came over to me and said, hey, you know, thank you for at least saying the truth. There's no reason just to go off on Wall Street. The problem with the global financial crisis was government-related Wall Street and Main Street. It was all of us. It wasn't just one. Wall Street was the easy scapegoat. But, you know, the last piece of your question, which is related to regulation and the UFO known as crypto and what will Washington do with it, again, I don't know, but I can only give you my guess. 73 million people own crypto. So I think it's going to be impossible for these people not to support it because, again, I'm a candidate for office. Uh, I turn to my political consultant. I say, well, what's my position on crypto? And the person is going to likely say, well, you better be for it because there's 73 million people. And a lot of those people, based on our research, are single issue voters. And so if the other guy's for it, the man or woman, and you're not for it, it's going to put you at a disadvantage. So I think if you look at a Nash game theory, probability statistical outcome in terms of what's going to happen, it all funnels down to support because of the popularity of crypto. And I'll remind you that nobody wanted Uber. Nobody, no mayor, city councilman, regulator, nobody wanted Uber. Taxi, medallion companies, of course, nobody wanted it, but the people wanted it. And so we still live in that sort of a society, and I predict that the people will get what they want. Absolutely. And, and that's the thing. It's the, the challenge of th this industry, I think, in particular, is that it came so fast and spread so fast. And then you come back to these, to use your uh, slur, traditional uh, institutions. And um, obviously, it's not your slur, but we 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 don't move that quickly. How do you jump on a speeding train? And, and even Wall Street can't seem to understand fully this opportunity. You've got, you know, Jack Dorsey, Elon Musk, Michael Saylor famously embracing it. But most institutions and regulators really can't seem to agree on exactly what it is. And, and even worse, being decentralized in nature makes it really difficult to monitor and regulate it. And, and even worse than that, if we do figure out how to monitor and regulate it, then it's almost no longer decentralized. So how does that ultimately get resolved? I know there's a lot there, but how do you think Wall Street gets their head around this opportunity in the future? This is such a good question. And I'm sitting here pausing because I really have to think about how to respond to it. Um, 
I'm, this is how I'm going to respond to it. Okay. I think it's going to happen in phases. Okay. So I'm going to go back to the junk bond market. Michael Milken invented it. Drexel Burnham was the big procurer of it. Goldman Sachs would not touch it. JP Morgan would not touch it. But as it started to get successful, Solomon Brothers touched it and then Bear Stearns touched it. It wasn't until it became regulatorily pure and it was totally acceptable and mainstreamed that places like Goldman Sachs and others accepted it. So I think that's going to happen in crypto. I think it will start creeping into the more entrepreneurial houses until it gets to the less entrepreneurial, more institutional houses. And so it'll happen gradually. But I also think there was a big thing that just happened, and that was uh, Larry Fink's firm, BlackRock, the largest asset manager in the world, has now teamed up with Coinbase, and they're going to use the Aladdin system at Coinbase to help their institutional investors analyze risk associated with Bitcoin. I think it's a super positive thing because it's basically telling people, finally, Larry Fink sees a need for this. And so I think that's going to happen, you know? Absolutely. And, and that's a breaking news, actually. That's just happening today, if I'm not mistaken. Yes, that's correct. And, and as everyone runs in one direction and to, to your point, the traditional mainstream media, you know, sort of laughs to each other about the crypto winter, which if we really think about where crypto has gone in the last 10 years, it's kind of hard to see this, uh, you know, this correction as some sort of transformational right. event. It's, it's, can I it's show you something quickly? Different. Do you mind? Yeah, please, please. I don't know if you can see this, but it is a composite of me, and I'm on the SS Mooch, and the right. SS Mooch is sinking with all the Bitcoin on it. I don't know if you can see it, but there it is. Right, okay. Yeah, I can and see that, it. That was the front page of the New York Post business section last week. Right, okay. So yeah. They were they were attacking me saying that I'm losing money in my crypto position and that I'm quote unquote foolishly staying in my crypto position. So it may be yeah. foolish. I, I don't know. We'll have to see what happens, but I don't think it's going to be foolish. Now, the irony of that is my Coinbase position is up a hundred percent since they printed that. My Bitcoin position is up twenty-two. I'm really hoping, Doug, that they write another nasty article about me because it seems to be helping my performance. But the point I'm making is it's early. I could be right. But in the short term, I could look embarrassingly and very wrong. And of course, people have long-term investment horizons until they have short-term losses. So everybody's a long-term investor until they get the short-term loss, then they get upset. And so for me, I'm trying to guide people not to do that. And so let's see what happens. Absolutely. And yeah, I think, you know, the, the ultimate contrarian in indicator typically is the New York Post, right, versus the Wall Street Journal. So, um, so I'm, I'm happy to see that, actually. And to your point, in just the last few weeks since the uh, quote unquote crypto winter that everyone wanted to celebrate, likely because they weren't participants in the meteoric rise, uh, you've got Ethereum up about 50% off of its recent lows. And so, you know, it, it, sure, there's going to be volatility along the way. This is a story that um, that is, is early and, and not over. And, you know, to that point, what we do here 
The idea of Wall Street and Main Street is we want to demystify investment opportunities or asset classes, products, services, transaction strategies, uh, wealth management um, for both investors and advisors and kind of put a foot on each street and stand right at the corner. And, and so we don't care about the court of public opinion. You know, I, I'm going to take uh, advice from you with regards to, uh, you know, cryptocurrency a lot sooner than I would the New York Post. And, you know, a Long Island kid, it was it was entertaining to pick one up and read it with my, uh, you know, bacon, egg and cheese uh, and Snapple <laughs> growing up. But little else, I certainly didn't, you know, base my investment decisions on that. But let's let's be honest, you know, there have been some pretty well-publicized failures recently and, and over the course of, of, you know, the rise of crypto, as we'll call it. Recently, Celsius, Luna, Three Arrows Capital, billions of dollars gone in an instant. It's no daunting, you know, for Wall Street, but even more intimidating for investors on Main Street. And, you know, the old saying is if you can't spot the sucker at the table in 30 seconds, right, you're the sucker. We're coming into this ill-equipped to, to slug it out with the tech mavens and, you know, Mensa geniuses that, that encompass this space. Um, and so how should we perceive crypto as an investment opportunity given how little we really know about it and, and how volatile or dangerous investing in it can be? I mean, so these are all great, great questions. So, um well, I'm laying it up because I see you as kind of like a Sherpa. I see people yeah. like you that have embraced it. Will you be helping us along the way? You're, that, you're, you're, you know, you're asking great questions. So you can see the expression on my face. I'm pausing on these questions because I want to I want to calibrate myself and answer them as thoughtfully as possible. You're, you know. All right, well, let me say one thing that's crazy and then I'll say something that sounds institutional and normal. But the crazy <laughs> thing that I'm going to say is the truth. Okay, Doug? Is that okay? I love it. Love it. Okay. I think this stuff's worth $300,000. I think these Bitcoins are worth $300,000 and I think Ethereum is going to be worth ten to 15000 per token. I just think that. And I, I can explain it through supply, demand, wallet growth, use cases, the explosion of applications. And, and, I see it like literally the way I'm looking at this Zoom and I can see myself talking to you. And so, but I'm humbled by life. Now I'm going to say something normal, okay? I'm humbled by life and I'm humbled by markets. So I may be wrong about that. So I don't want to go into an investment meeting and tell somebody to put all their money in it. And I don't want to go into an investment meeting and tell people put even 20% of their money in it. But I have to, as a responsible person, who believes what I just said, I've got to get my clients invested in this. I do not I do right. not want my clients to miss this. So when you're talking about being a Sherpa, what do Sherpas do? They're going to get you up the mountain, but they also know that there's risk on the mountain. They know that the mountain freezes once in a while um, and so on and so forth. You follow what I'm saying? No, absolutely. And, and so you got to be cautious. But if you just said to me, okay, we're in a bar together. Let's cut all the BS. It's just you and me talking, not for public consumption. What do you really think? 
I think that these things are going to be worth a fortune and they're going to change the future of finance because they are delayering mechanisms and a result of which they're going to go up in value because they're properties on the highway known as the blockchain and they're going to delayer our transactions. So you're going to go to the restaurant, not pay American Express, wallet to wallet transfer. You're an expat from El Salvador. You want to give money to your mom. You're going to give it to her, wallet to wallet transfer. You're not going to go through Western Union and lose 10% of it on the way to mom. It's not going to happen. And so because of that, the demand for this stuff is going to go through the roof. So you're sitting here right now and it's so early, Doug, that you can't right. see it. It would be like me telling you the first day that you logged into your AOL account and it took 35 seconds for your dial-up modem to land your AOL landing page. I said, hey, well, Doug, guess what? 25 years from now, we're going to be streaming 4K video. Billions right. of people, 4K <laughs> video, trillions of dollars of transactions over high-speed switches known as the Internet. And right now you're purring and whirring and buzzing in 1998 into the internet. And you'd be looking at me like this guy. He says, what is he talking about? No, so absolutely. People, can't, people can't see it. Why? Because this is how our brains work. That's right. We're, we're trained to think linearly. We're trained to see the world the way it is and then expect it to be that way tomorrow. You know, Thomas Malthus said, we're going to starve. And he said, what do you mean hey, we're going to starve? Well, the principle gonna... of population. Yes, we're going to starve. The population Malthus... is growing exponentially. Yeah. I did not yeah. have Malthusian economics on my business, business, uh, bingo card for this conversation. But well, I love I'm it. just saying that's how the world thinks, like Malthus. Yeah. So Malthus missed GMO. He missed vertical farming. He missed irrigation. He missed refinement of fertilizers. Right. Or we maybe he's more, early. <laughs> we, have, we have more people dying from obesity-related illnesses than we do from starvation. That's right. You're because the world right. is moving exponentially while we're trained to think liter linearly. So I don't know. I could be wrong. I've been humbled by life. I've been humbled by markets. Got my ass kicked getting fired out of the White House. I'm not going to sit here as some pedantic human being you know, sermonizing. I'm just going to tell you as an entrepreneur, 58 years on the planet, 34 years since I left school, nine bear markets, this is going to transform the world. And I got to own a piece of it. Yeah. And, and oh, my, buddy, it. my buddies on Wall Street that don't see it, that's fine, but they're going to get there. Same way they got there on the, on the junk bond market, the same way they got there on Web One. And I'll remind your viewers and listeners that nobody in the institutional community wanted to own Amazon in 2000, in the year 2000. Now everybody owns it. Of they course. Back then. Well, you know, we, we talked about this in the past uh, on, on a previous episode that there's a psychology in uh, financial service that suggests that if you're bearish, you're credible and you're trusted because the, the intent of being bearish is to warn or protect investors from a potential negative outcome. It's, it's sort of like a primal instinct. And therefore, if you're bullish, then you're reckless and you're exposing people to risk. And so you shouldn't be trusted. But if we look at the, you know, the chart of the markets going back to the buttonwood tree, it goes from the bottom left to the top right. And if you had stayed the course 
and participated in these new opportunities as they came along, uh, you've done very well for yourself. And, you know, the old adage, if you're betting on Armageddon, you'll only be right once and it won't matter. Um, so, you know, I'm not necessarily concerned with the, you know, the blowback, obviously the reputational risk and, and the, the controversy that might surround you. But again, it's about the conviction. And, 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 and this is kind of, I guess, my last point. And, and I did want to touch on the SALT conference, which, which is about finance and technology and, and geopolitics, right? And really at its core, sort of about disruption and this is clearly an industry that touches all three, but investors have been conditioned and rightly so to kind of stay close to the herd for the most part. And I feel like that's okay. We have algorithms and machines and institutions capable of managing trillions of assets, um, trillions of dollars in assets efficiently over time to, to create a, a, a uniform experience for the participants. But then you've got alternative investments. And while in the past, alternative investments in, in, in my arena, the, you know, the broker-dealer RIA channel, have typically just meant, yeah, sure, what, what kind of non-traded REIT can I interest you in? I love the idea that we're giving investors more options to different opportunities, not to go all in. You know, famously, Warren Buffett said, when testing the depth of a river, it's best not to use both feet but to, to take a percentage of your hard-earned money and decide, you know what, I want to bet on this horse and see where this goes because I understand or I believe in this as being a part of the story in the future. So would you suggest that for investors, that's how we look at crypto ultimately as an alternative investment? Yes, I, okay. I, think, I think so. Um, I think so. You know, I, I again, I... I I told you at the bar between you and me, it's worth 300,000. So, you know, I have a lot more money in that than I would recommend to my client. But I think that's the best approach because we have to gradually get people involved. The one thing I will leave your viewers and listeners with, though, if you buy a tiny bit of Bitcoin or a tiny bit of Ethereum, tiny bit, It'll wake you up and you'll start focusing on it and you'll do some work on it. It would be like if I told you right now I'm going to buy a Chevy Impala. I get in the Chevy Impala, then all of a sudden I notice all the other Chevy Impalas that are riding around. Or if I buy a G-Wagon, I'll look around and say, oh, look at all those G-Wagons. If you buy it and it's in your portfolio, it's very clarifying. It gets you focused on doing the research. Absolutely. And that that was sort of my last question is for investors. How do you take that first step? Um, you know, other than a, a snarky nephew at Thanksgiving, you know, what information resources are available to us to learn more about uh, crypto? And uh, would you suggest you have resources at Skybridge where we can sort of just peruse and maybe uh, learn a little bit more about um, this space? Um, yeah, I mean, listen, you can go on our website. We have a lot of things that we've written. I wrote a book recently. It got published actually last August, so I shouldn't say recently, 11 months ago or a year ago now. It's already August. Um, uh, and it's about Bitcoin. And it's called The Sweet Life of Bitcoin, How I Learned to Stop Worrying About Cryptocurrency, and you should too. It was a fun little book. It's available on Amazon. 
Um, you can buy the Bitcoin standard by Safadane Amos. Um, but yes, I would encourage people to please do some homework. But I'm going to tell you what, if you buy up a little bit of Bitcoin, very clarifying. Right. I, I, I agree. I think uh, even to demystify it myself, uh, I had to you know go in and open a Coinbase account and buy something and see how that process worked and get comfortable with it. And, you know, you talk about the, the projections that you have for it sort of, you know, off the record um, at a bar, probably, um, uh, you know, something Gilgo Beach or uh, Tobe, something out on Long Island, you know, Jones Beach probably was your, your, your beach of choice. Um, Kathy Wood says that she thinks Ethereum goes to a 20, 20 trillion market cap by uh, 2030. So, Know, hold your beer. She's got even bigger goals uh, for this uh, for this asset class. But you know, I think that that's a sensible recommendation. Learn a little bit more about it. You know, dip your toe and, and keep your eye on it because just as quickly as the New York Post wants to write its uh, eulogy, I think there's a lot more to the story and a lot of smart people like I don't know BlackRock that are starting to embrace it here. So it definitely is worth watching. Um, there's so much more we could discuss. Uh, I'm going to keep it in my pocket, though, and try to coax you back for a future episode. And, and really, for now, I just can't thank you enough for being no, so generous. Great. Thank time. you. Thank you so much for having me. And I appreciate the opportunity. Yeah, it's really been great. And I'm, I'm glad we could shed some light on this topic. But uh, ladies and gentlemen, Anthony the Mooch Scaramucci. <laughs>